Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and welcome from wherever you're joining me in the world today. I hope you're well and having a fantastic day. My guest today is Daniel Milford. Daniel is the founding CEO of Chironex, a robotics company headquartered in, headquartered in Perth, Australia. Daniel has extensive experience in complex capability development, disruptive technologies, virtual and augmented reality, policy, strategy, consulting, cyber operations, robotics, emerging technology, change and project management. Daniel's professional experience is supported by a substantial academic background, the three master's degrees and additional honors. He maintains a research interest into disruptive technology, nuclear weapons, cyber operations and national strategy. Daniel, welcome and thank you so very much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks, Mickey. So tell us a little bit about your journey. Chironix has been operating for about five years. Um, how did this all come about? Oh, right. Well, um, it's uh, well, we've got the time, I guess, is why we're here. So I guess to start off with, um, the Chironix, we set it up, I set it up in 2017, at the end of 2017, after some years in defence, some years in the private industry. And I really wanted to look at human machine teaming uh, from my own experiences uh, and also what I wanted to service the community with. So um, my background is actually in defence. I, I did uh, time in uniform, uh, mainly as an army reservist and some full-time service. But then I did a period of six years of work as a, um, as a public servant in the defence department. And I worked in a variety of roles, including capability development uh, and, and internal and advisories consultancy uh, for the Navy as well. And during this time, I was involved in technology realisation and emerging technology deployment. Um, after attending War College uh, or Staff College at Western Creek for the Defence Department in 2015, my brilliant now wife, then girlfriend, uh, won a job with BHP, which saw us move to Western Australia and now based in Perth. And uh, that meant my career with uh, Defence was no longer viable, not being in Canberra. Um, so I joined a private IT company for some time working with Google and Alphabet, which led me to working with Boston Dynamics and Google X, which led to me looking at what my options were and hence raising a company. Um, but I wanted to set up a really interesting company and do something really innovative, new, and that would potentially have a dramatic um, impact upon society. So when I set up Chironix, I thought long and hard about the name and we're named after the Greek centaur Chiron, which is the body of a horse and the torso of a man. And when you join them together, that's human machine teaming. If you understand the origins of the word robot as well, it's a Slavic word and it means to force servitude roughly from the old 1700s verbiage and, and meaning of the words. And it's that concepts where I was an army officer in the field and other experiences I've had working in remote environments that where I wanted, wanted direct support to be provided to me, um, that's that's where the concepts of the company started. So uh, from that time, uh, from 2017, where I started on my own and started consulting in 2018, really to grow the, the first hallmarks of the company, uh, we scaled the 39 staff last year and we have generally tripled our revenue and doubled our headcount every year. And we focus really on robots for humans that's our tagline so 
robots we develop them in applied environments to directly service and support people generally in the field uh, and in such a way we do two major missions one's logistics and payload delivery and the other is more complex missions with inspections remote inspections intelligence surveillance reconnaissance etc etc so our customers tend to be in defense oil and gas resources sectors and any other person that needs a robot somewhere else to do something of use for them so that's so, where we started. A nice nutshell. You've touched on Boston Dynamics that I want to come back to, but um, in terms of starting the company, did you bootstrap yourself? Did you have funding? Um, it's a pretty quick escalation from one <laughs> to 39. Um, so, I mean, you've been an army, the Royal Army Reserve yeah. for one year. So yeah. I'm assuming, you know, you've got management experience just by virtue of just being in the army, or is that a bit of a stretch to have that assumption? Um, so when I started the company for the first question, uh, yeah, I did bootstrap it. I'd left the public service um, after some years of work and service to, to have some small savings. And um, my wife being gainfully employed in the booming uh, mining sector at the time made me consider taking a risk. Um, at that time, I didn't believe we'd get to, you know, almost 40 people and get to where we were now. Um, I thought, no, this is be interesting. Let's have a go. Um, perhaps if I, uh, <laughs> I'd like to pretend I had the same moment when I thought that, but, uh, you know, years later <laughs> in reflection, made a, made a different decision. But no, yeah. it's just worked quite well. Um, but, yeah, so it completely bootstrapped and still remain bootstrapped, still have no debts, which is great. We work on customer success. Um, and we've been able to scale in support of that uh, with customers around the world. So I'm very pleased about that. Um, being the sole founder as well, it represents, um, it's a different type of challenge, yeah. um, which kind of comes to your next point, which is leadership and management. Um, I uh, undertook significant training in the army through the Royal Military College and I did three master's degrees and I went through command and staff college and also another college which was capability technology management college and if anyone knows those three colleges I'm talking about each of those courses is a year-long residential course effectively uh, some of them have master's degrees affiliated with them uh, through proficiency and um, I'm very um, very blessed and thankful for that um, support and training and investment government took me and I'm you now providing back that expertise as a defense industry company now. Um, but I believe the one best thing the army does is trains others to follow and it breeds people into a, a hierarchical system that everyone understands their place. It was great and foundational training for me to receive that full operation operating in the defense department, but forthwith having left it and joined private industry you learn a whole new different game of leadership and management. And uh, particularly during COVID and recessions and inflation and uh, pandemics and you know, scaling a company, um, it's a different journey. And um, I think there's lessons that I, I did try to bring across from defense. Some worked well, some didn't, uh, some just had no impact. And I think in private sector uh, particularly, there's a different type of personnel management approach uh, because a hierarchy doesn't naturally exist. Mm. Uh, it may entitle, sure, but uh, there's different um, there's different effects you're trying to compensate for within the environment. So 
yeah, it, it's a hell of a learning journey and I don't think I need to do a Masters of Business Administration because I've been doing it for the last five years. I don't need that one to the title. Um, you, you've ticked yeah. that box. So, so um, your staff, mainly software developers, like, and where do, you, where do you find your staff? Because we all know in Australia we've, we've got severe tech shortages. We do. And it's very disappointing that we have those shortages because we have so much potential. Mm. Um, we'll probably talk more on that later. Um, but where do I, so the makeup of the company is quite mixed, quite diverse and multidisciplinary. Yes, we have software engineers, solution architects, robotics engineers, mechatronic engineers, electrical engineering engineers, well, electrical engineers, I guess, yeah, mm. that's what you call them. Um, CAD developers uh, as well. We've got product developers. Um, and uh, you know we have uh, our product leads uh, that run our roadmaps for our own products that we've released, including Medics, which we've been working on with Google X and Glass for Enterprise, and all the way through to our latest product, Pilot OS, uh, which is scaling really well and really enjoying our, our interactions with our customers on that. And um, then you get to the other side of the business, and obviously you, you've got finance and administration and sales and marketing and brand management. Uh, but interestingly, we've, we've taken a few Newer, uh, not newer, sorry, a few interesting appointments because we've had these people working for us for several years now. So we've got our own manufacturing uh, components that we work in for prototyping. But we've also got a, a dual PhD. So he's crazy and I am. He's uh, got, uh, he's just finishing his second PhD, first one in organizational psychology, the second one in human machine teaming. And that's to really make sure that our software and our robot user experience, the physical experience the human gets from the robot in the field, supports high trust and high levels of communication so we can have a high performing team because we're trying to change a physical robot in the field to being a teammate, mm. something that is practical, useful and persistent and reliable. Uh, so he's great uh, to have involved in our uh, teams because we can measure the impact of our robots. We can measure the utility that we provide to our customers and ultimately that generates a business case in its own right. Yeah, touching on some of your projects you've done, um, it includes the development of a military satellite constellation between the US and Australia. How did this come about? I'm assuming it, um, some contacts in your, from your defence history here must have popped up. Or, no, but, no, oh, that's yeah. that, that's actually some of my previous work while I was engaged as a defence department civilian. So I um. I mentioned I worked in major capability development, so I was the project manager for Wiban Global Satellite Phase Three H, uh, where. Uh, we were siting the anchor stations for the satellite and acquiring a terminal. And so it's about a $340 million program I was uh, in charge of, as a total of $1.2 billion uh, total program. Um, and after that time in the Defence Department, I went off to further training in technology management, uh, where I got another master's there and then ended up in Navy Strategy um, Executive in, in the Chief of Navy's office, um, where I did some other works. But um, the experience I gained in that job and the subsequent experience I gained in, in, a, in, a, in a college called the Capability Technology Management College, which is one of the best colleges in Australia. I, I, it's part of the Australian Defence College, but you study a very broad general degree of capability and technology management, everything from satellite communications uh, to radar, to electronic warfare, to cyber, to logistics um, and uh, general technology applications developing with three major trips, two domestic trips, and one international trip of eight weeks, at least when I did it, it's been cut back. Excellent. I went to satellite development centers in um, El Segundo in California for Boeing. We went to Skunk Works at Lockheed Martin. 
Uh, we went to Heckler and Koch in Germany in the Black Forest in five munitions. It was just such a deep, brilliant course to show me the total gamut of defence industry uh, globally as well as in Australia. Um, and that really opened my eyes to the art of the possible, which I think, you know, made me more confident in opening Chironics once I got to that point. You've mentioned the glass enterprise into emergency medicine for real-time uh, patient monitoring. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so when I started uh, Chironics, we really looked at the triad uh, of our services and operations. And we, we had robots, uh, top right-hand corner, so if you've got an upside-down triangle, robots on the right-hand side. We had humans on the left-hand side, and we knew we needed to connect the human to the robot. So we thought, let's digitise the human. You know, it makes sense. Give them a wearable device and make that work. And down the bottom of the upside down triangle at the pinnacle, we thought, okay, we need an AI machine learning context. And that was a triad we always focused on. And we come to learn, came to learn a few things once we had started working with Google X, um, based on some of my previous work with them in private industry. And uh, it's the fact that people don't want to be digitized and don't want something on their face all the time if they're not actively engaged in using it. Um, so that was a good, uh, point in time because we started implementing video conferencing on Google Glass and uh, basically checklists. And this is back in 2018. We were doing medical vital sign monitoring integration, checklist management for the Royal Australian Navy's aircraft, so the helicopters, um, for pre-flight inspections. And we had a number of customers spinning up. So we decided to set up a product called Medix, uh, named after the Greek um, god Metis who flew into Zeus's ear and whispered good things to his mind so that he would do all the good things if the bad devil was on his shoulder. So there's a bit of Greek mythology that we run throughout the names uh, that we use in the company. Um, but yeah, Metis, uh, so it's a great product. Uh, it provides Zoom video conferencing uh, all hands-free uh, via the Glass for Enterprise device. Um, and we've done in the past a whole bunch of our other application development for that. Um, but we launched that in 2019, in August uh, 2019, just before COVID hit. Um, and uh, as a consequence of uh, engaging with Zoom prior to COVID, and everyone I think was quite familiar with Zoom and now, they probably weren't before COVID. Um, so we saw a great increase in the utilization of that product. And it's now uh, a completely separate brand to Chironics because it really does provide a different service. We now link knowledge workers as desk bound workers to the remote deployed people in the field who are wearing glass and they can get that expert support and uh, real-time uh, observance of what is needed to support that person. So it's still the same thing. We're supporting the person in the field, do the job and be as best, be the best that they can be, be as safe and as productive as they can be. Uh, but in this case, we're linking them with a direct human. In our robotics uh, capabilities within the Greater Chironics Group, we're actually then supporting that person directly in the field once again with an autonomous unit, which is driving off-road and doing a variety of tasks in support of them. But yeah, so Medics uh, was picked up um, in a whole range of capabilities, which did include um, medical applications. So uh, we've rolled up for the Office of Naval Research in the United States for medical vital sign monitoring and triage of mass casualty events. Uh, it's been used in Singapore and uh, it will currently be used in Singapore in a range of hospitals uh, to do um, that distance and remote support uh, for complex surgeries. Um, and we've had a lot of other work that we've done with a variety of industries, including other medical uh, demonstrations around the world. So it's been, been an interesting journey. Listen, congratulations. You know, I, I, um, during my, my talks with probably not over 90 um, guests that I've had on the podcast, I'm always amazed at the capability that Australians have and 
yeah. we come across as such unassuming, um, humble, and mostly everyone is like that. And you just look at them and you go, oh, my goodness, do Australians actually know what capability we have? <laughs> you know, in your, your instance, living in Perth, just minding your own business, carrying on, but, you know, giving service to the rest of the world in vital places. Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, geez, we're not, we're not good at in Australia about really holding our own uh, laurels up and presenting it to the world. And it's a very interesting economy. We are a very service-based economy. Um, we are an export-orientated island nation. And uh, Perth, um, you know, I'm a, an immigrant to Perth, you could say, uh, from the East Coast, having never had no affiliations here. My wife and I, we're still only her and I here with our new son. Um, and, um, you know, we <laughs> it's, it's quite interesting. It's closer to Singapore than it is to Sydney yeah. from Perth. And it makes you considered the world in a, in a different way and you know i was a a policy wonk in canberra i had never been to perth when i was in defense i was making decisions that were affecting the national uh, the fabric of the nation and our, 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 our national defense um but it's not until you stay here for a while you realize how isolated uh, uh it is and that perception of the world from the indian ocean side of the, of the island but at the same time the opportunities that are here and um i think with that mindset it really does create, and regardless of where you are in Australia, it really does make you think about how, if you build a product, how are you going to sell it? And obviously, most of the time, you're not looking to Australians to buy it. I mean, in fact, the Australian government is a terrible um, purchaser of Australian products. Uh, if you build a product overseas and you bring it back to Australia once it's succeeded overseas, you're far more likely to get purchased and picked up as a product uh, supplier. And uh, I don't know how this bias is going to be changed in the future. It's a lot of challenge that uh, Stephen Smith and um, Sir Angus uh, Houston have to uh, work through with their review of defence. But yeah, there's there's some certainly some challenges. But um, I'm I'm never I'm not shocked anymore uh, when I go to visit companies and other colleagues about how bloody good they are. Mm. Um, it's not a bloody surprise anymore. Uh, but we need to hold up our defence industry and our standard industry anyway. Uh, around the nation and, and by Australia, um, because you know, why are we giving jobs away to overseas nations and not supporting them here? You know, we talk about wage increases for uh, staff generally around Australia. Well, let's buy Australian products. So yeah, it is. It is quite interesting, um, and you don't really appreciate it until you're on this side of the fence. You know, I was a soldier, an army officer, a defence civilian, now in defence industry, and I've seen it from every angle, and it, it, it is very interesting. Um, and even engaging in oil and gas and resources and a whole range of other uh, verticals which we support now, including academia and research, uh, even through just dropshipping and distribution of robots from ClearPath and Boston Dynamics and Agile X. Um, yeah, it, it's, it is quite interesting. <laughs> but, so speaking of which, you've deployed robots to, as you mentioned, oil and gas, um, defence yeah. and utility sectors. Give us some examples of the specific robots and how they're used. Sure. Yeah. So, um, look at Carbonix. We don't build robots. We build the software or design the software and the payloads that make these robots useful. So that's really where our sweet space is. Uh, we focus hard on making sure that any of these technologies which are coming onto the market can be applied. So think of us as applied robotics, applied technologies. That's definitely what we do, all the way from the wearables to the robots. Um, most of the listeners should be familiar with Spot from Boston Dynamics, and I've had a long and ongoing relationship with um, Boston for 
geez, six or seven years now before I even set up the company, uh, I was meeting with them regularly, taking some customers there, um, and also went through a, um, a, a recruiting process uh, for BD at, at a time. Um, and so Spot obviously has a range of capabilities, 68 to 90 minutes of battery endurance with a range of payloads, including thermal cameras um, and some onboard compute now. Um, and it makes it quite an, a useful asset, asset for human-like spaces and manoeuvre. Um, so, you know, obviously in oil and gas customers and resources customers, fixed asset inspections are, are pretty interesting, particularly where you have unmanned stations either at sea or in very, very remote locations. Um, the ability to leverage the onboard sensor stack as well is what's really key to the application of that unit. And I, look, I'm quite aware as well that uh, the use cases uh, for Spot continue to grow and burgeon, um, and those testimonials, use cases, and um, returns and investment are quite clear and apparent now in most of those customer verticals. So there's a real use case for the adoption of those technologies to support the extension of human sensing through an asset, just through yeah. the different spectrums it can provide. But you know, at 68 to 90 minutes of battery time as well, it's a short, sharp implementation for a specific use case. So that's quite clear. Other platforms we leverage includes AgileX. It's a Chinese manufacturer, great base platform. It just comes with the motor control and power supply units, but no compute on the inside. Mm -hmm. So the applications are quite varied and, and um, the way that we can get in, employ it. Um, everything from mini little tanks, about a meter to a meter size, uh, up to around about a small, a small ATV size, um, but we manufacture something called a ChiroPack. It's a sensing and component pack which runs our software, which makes all of the fleet of the Agile X fleet, um, as well as some other systems, uh, interact with our Pilot OS software, mm -hmm. which allows us to do hand gestures and talk to the robots to perform functions on our behalf without having to use a, a, a hand terminal, any type of uh, touchpad. Uh, and that's really important for us because we want our users of the robots to be hands-free, eyes-free, mind-free, and just get on with the job. Yeah. So they request a service. It's almost like Uber for the workplace. It just turns up as an autonomous robot with the cargo on board that you require or with the sensors at the position that you require it to be. Mm. Um, the work we've done with Project Simpson uh, for the US Navy, and here's where Australians get the name projects, is a lot of fun, Jack yeah. Simpson, uh, you know, uh, J Simpson and his donkey from Gallipoli. Yeah. Now, our mission was to extract casualties from war on some of our robots. So um, it was using that Pilot OS software uh, to build up all of those use cases for the Marines to extract these casualties. And it's just, it's uber for the battlefield. It's moving supplies forward to the front lines and moving people rearward uh, as casualty with specialist payloads, which we also designed and manufactured, which has gone really, really well. Um, other platforms we support is ClearPath. ClearPath is a well-known brand in, in universities, research and academia because of its uh, functionality and the way that you can actually add your own computers, GPUs and, and systems and so forth. Um, so we have a great uh, uh, throughput of them. Some of the large units like a Warthog manufactured by um, Ontario Driving Gear uh, or Argo XTR, which goes to ClearPath and gets rosified. Uh, and then comes to us, which we add then the any additional sensors packages and deploy to our customers. That's common. And a new customer, which we've uh, just recently partnered with, is Canadensis for larger platforms up to about a ton payload. Um, and we continue to canvas the market. And we're very selective. We have a lot of potential um, platform partners reach out to us that want to partner. Mm. Uh, 
uh, we go through a really rigorous process, which I'm really proud of, um, where we work with their robots, we work with their software teams and the design teams on their systems. And we're actually only choosing the best of uh, class and building a really interesting um, range of platforms to leverage and utilize uh, that are distinct in their own ways. Um, so we're not a cornucopia uh, warehouse of robots uh, that you can get everything that you want because it's, it always, almost becomes meaningless and there's other companies which do that. We just we provide the best of the best and that actually work and support our customers in the field reliably and support them in their roles. Yeah, you've touched on something very important. You want to make sure the robot solutions or the platform solutions that you're providing actually work, you know, and it's one thing to see it on on YouTube when you're dealing with companies that aren't based mm. in Australia and it looks fabulous. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the wonder of YouTube is you can cut and paste and you can take out lags and all oh. wonderful things so that it all yeah. looks like one street, you know, thinking of Boston dyna dynamic videos <laughs> and you go, oh, look at that. I go, no, I don't think that's how it actually works. But um, yeah, no, the anyway. time, the number of times they've done it at filming, I mean, BD's approach uh, to marketing uh, was fantastic. Yeah. There should be a use case on that on its own uh, in future academic research. Um, but yeah, the number of times they've had to work through filming those sequences to get that perfect snippet of 30 seconds, it doesn't show the reality. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think the George Lucas effect uh, is what I often call it. You know, lasers go pew pew in space. You know, it oh. doesn't really exist, doesn't really happen. So when people approach us about robotics, uh, the first thing we do is educate them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, hang on. You've been watching Star Wars or even watching YouTube and this mm. stuff doesn't really happen like this. This is These are the realities. We're limited by physics. We're limited by these things. And this is just the reality of what we can do for you at this time. And that's not uh, because of our internal capacity or capability chironics. That's just the global norm. And the yeah. limits of physics and rules of physics is just like this is what can happen uh, in support of your objectives. So, yeah. I think it's actually a bit annoying when I see those videos because I have exactly the same problems, you know, and I mean, my robots aren't half as uh, complex or sophisticated, although my telepresence are um, as standalones are very, very uh, smart. And people come up with all sorts of funny questions. And I go, yeah. no, like, no, that's not how it works. And I think I think the onus is on anyone that works in the industry is to be very patient and very clear in how you describe what you do, what mm. these robots are, because I think there's still a quite a large fear factor in Australia about these robots are going to mm. come and take over and yeah. um, you're not going to have jobs. And well, yes, there is automation going to happen, but you'd be hoping that the companies are responsible enough to go if automation is, is happening. They diversifying their staff into other um, mm. positions in the company to support this. Well, that journey is only going to be realized if we guide the executives mainly towards an outcome which supports them in that mission. And I mean, that's specifically what Chironics we're focused on. We're providing the means and the mechanisms with our software and our assets to introduce robots into the workplace in a supportive fashion to the existing workforce. It's completely unrealistic, completely unrealistic that large groups of robots are gonna come into workplaces and disrupt or displace completely the existing human workforce. It's just nonsensical, it's not gonna yeah. happen. But there's a historical precedent of fear to this, and it's a Luddite movement and a saboteur movement. It's a Luddite movement in the United Kingdom. The uh, introduction of the steam engine, which saw a social movement called Luddites stand up, 
and, and basically go around the country destroying these machines, which were disrupting the social fabric, the way that the people earned money. And the saboteur movement in France, where people would throw their sabots, their wooden shoes, into the looms, the industrial looms, which had been introduced in the 1700s. You know, that's why they call it Industry 4.0. Mm. It's the same thing. Um, there's a, it's necessary to guide the executives of companies that are trying to introduce autonomous technologies to do it in the right way, in a way that supports the engagement of the workforce uh, that exists there. And yes, there will be some dislocation of limited numbers of people performing manual repetitive tasks in the 40s, you know, dirty, dull, dangerous mm -hmm. areas. And there are business requirements and, uh, and needs to disrupt some of those things, particularly with the dangerous things. Like for instance, in mining, we're targeting dangerous work. Why should people go to work and die? We can lose a twenty or fifty thousand dollar asset. Fine, it doesn't matter. Write it off. Um, but it is interesting. There is a. It's not ignorance. I think it's the George Lucas effect that we talked about before. People believe these robots, bipedal systems, will walk in with Terminator on their shoulder. Oh. <laughs> you know, wow. It's just like it's. it's it, there's a lot of reality sense checking to go through. But I mean, this is where back to the mission of Chironics and the entire commencement of the company. Back to Chiron, that human machine team. Yeah. That is exactly what we focus on, and that's why we've had commercial success with our generally in our enterprise customers, which is what we mainly support: multinationals in the deployment of these technologies, supporting their workforce. So you've mentioned you've got quite a few international clients. Um, in terms of Australians, <clears throat> um, how's that going, and what do you think of robotics in Australia generally? Uh, so do you mean my proportion of sales in Australia versus yes, international? Or? Yes, and, yeah. and also a second to that, um, you know, what is the sophistication level? I mean, we've touched on it briefly here now, but, you know, what, what do you think we need to do maybe to up the ante a little bit? Hmm, great question. So roughly, very, very roughly, like half, depending upon the year, um, but for the last financial, roughly about half of my customers are international. Mm -hmm. um, the other half is domestic. Um, but if you consider that I haven't been able to leave the country uh, for the last three years, and let alone leave Western Australia for a large portion of that, uh, yeah. uh, thanks to our COVID approach, um, it's interesting in terms of the consumption. Um, you know, Western Australia where we um, are based, we obviously have some key and large corporate uh, entities that reside here in the iron ore areas and also in the oil and gas areas. So we do support them. And um, it's interesting with a new, um, I guess I, I almost call it discovery of the greenhouse approach that the customers are intended to take with uh, how to offset their carbon emissions and uh, electric robots and electric vehicles and all, th these are starting to emerge as thought ideas. So that's interesting. Um, so yeah, proportionally it changes year on year, but there is a, a healthy element of international support, and we've been able to maintain that throughout the three years of the lockdown and not being able to travel. And that just comes down to excellent relationships and a, a demonstrated ability to deliver on our commitments uh, throughout the last years, which is great. Um, as for Australia, you know, manufacturing uh, and development of these systems, you know, it wasn't up until last year we manufactured tyres. Mm -hmm. um, we have an extraordinary amount of supply chain risk um, 
in uh, not just the robotics sector. I mean, we've always seen this with manufacturing uh, for the building sector, for construction, 30%. I mean, I was planning, an, uh, <laughs> like many other people, probably I was planning uh, a bit of an upgrade to my house just to extend it with our birth of our new son. We're thinking, geez, we, we probably need another room. And we did the plans. And then when we started getting our costings done in the first uh, year or two of uh, COVID as we're going through, our prices went up 40%. Yep. Uh, a little bit higher for Perth because you have to get everything across you uh, by road. But if you look at the electronics industry, you know, everything for electronics, um, circuit boards manufactured generally Taiwan or China, but definitely overseas. Batteries, well, we might export lithium, but we don't make batteries in large quantity. There's a few bespoke areas. We don't, we didn't, like I said, we didn't manufacture tyres in Australia up until a few years ago. We definitely don't manufacture tracks. Um, and the skill sets to put together these systems is very low. Uh, graduates transferring from university, we find that there's generally a three to four year uh, lag in where we are in industry. Uh, and that's obviously the time taken to write curriculum and introduce it into the group, uh, into the uh, into the universities and for the students to be trained. Um, there's also a huge demand on the students that are going through university to learn everything within their general engineering mechatronics degree. Um, and what I need is computer scientists that understand robots, not robotics mechatronics engineers that have a dabbling of computer science because yeah. they, they're useless to me. So I, and if you look at what robots are being manufactured in Australia, I mean, you've got BAI5 in, in um, Brisbane that came out of Deakin University. You've got some universities trying to commercialise with support from the federal government, but universities don't do a great job with partnering. They're actually yeah. really painful to engage with, frankly, uh, and particularly in, around IP, there's still this perspective from universities that they should own all IP and they haven't let you yet learn that uh, when they engage with industry, particularly small to medium enterprise, those discussions are important and you don't stick a lawyer in a room because it's about a relationship. Yeah. Uh, until you get that relationship sorted, then you go to the lawyers uh, and get your relationship put down through it, what you've agreed. So I, I'm probably ranting a bit now, but... Um, no, that's fine. I, like, they're all valid yeah. points. I mean, you're talking about Sean Tansley up in Queensland. And, I mean, yeah. uh, uh, there's the CSRO team did very well last year in the... Um, in the sub-tea challenge. Yeah, yeah look, they we, did we, well. We're aware like, of all that stuff there. It's yeah. just interesting. We don't do well in Australia in partnering, frankly. Yeah. That we, we, we try to carve out these little niches in domestic areas um, and don't talk, and that, that, that kills us really just kills us you know uh, what, as soon as you go yeah. offshore yeah okay yeah. no 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 i agree with you completely my philosophy is collaboration you know yeah. a rising tide um lifts, lifts all boats. that's it you know like everyone will win if you just collaborate but this attitude of there isn't enough to go around um i think is absolute nonsense well exactly and that's why we're focused on export uh, not just because of our 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 geography as the second most isolated city in the world yeah. uh, here in Perth after Honolulu, Hawaii, which is arguably one of the most isolated as a, as a large Western nation. Um, but it, yeah, it, it really is interesting. So I think Australia, we have a huge amount of potential. We lose, we have the brain drain. We lose a lot of talent to the US uh, and Europe now because they feel like that's where they can make it. Mm. Uh, I think that's bullshit. Mm. Uh, you can make it here. There's a lot of opportunities here. You get the recognition here. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of young people that we've trained up and lost overseas. Mm. I, you know, ironically, I'm now pensioned from the US and have been for some years out of NASA JPL and also from uh, Google. We've won people from Google. Uh, we've got a great lifestyle and uh, great culture in the company. 
Um, so that's really attractive to some and to most. I mean, uh, I have a lot of friends in the United States still. And if you want to go grind your nose on the wheel and really, really work hard to get the title against your name that you've worked at some place, that's okay. But it comes with a cost. Yeah. And I don't think we are, we, I don't think, you, yeah, I don't think people really understand that. And certainly, you know, I'm at a different phase of my life now where we've got an 11 week old uh, boy now, our first child. And it does make you reflect on your lifestyle um, and getting balance uh, because I love my work. I love my company. I love the people that work there. Uh, but I do love my son and uh, I want to spend some time with him. Um, so there's different things. And congratulations to you and your wife. I can only oh, say you. as a mother of adult children, um, they enrich and, and change your lives and your life in ways that you couldn't even begin to imagine. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you go like, had I, if I'd known all of this, would I have done it? And yes, my aunt says, yes, I would have done it. So, <laughs> um, but you will have moments where you go, I'm about to. I'm about to do something. I'm <laughs> clenching my teeth, but never mind. Like you'll, I'm sure you'll find your own dream. Well, well, we've had a fortunate experience so far. He's been, he's been a delight. Um, but it is interesting. It does make you look at the philosophy uh, and the values of the companies that you've set up. And I want to leave a better future for my son. I want to leave a better experience for my sisters, brothers, cousins, etc. And if that means I can provide them with a robot that gets rid of the low value tasks that they're doing, which are just a nuisance. To focus on really highly valuable profitable things and increase the individual utility of every person in the workplace and make them safer then that that has real virtue yeah. that really has real virtue and we should be exporting it and increasing the value of the gdp of australia that's that's the whole point of what we're doing well um i just get the feeling that you're going to be excellent parents so i'll check in on 10 years time and go <laughs> Just give me an update. I just want to know, maybe not even 10 years' time. I'll check him again at the end of the year and go, how are you telling me? I know you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you're a mentor and investor for Moonshot. Tell us a little bit about this. So Moonshot's, uh, yeah, something I've been affiliated with uh, for a couple of years now. We focus on space technologies. So um, I think my experience with Chironics being sole founder, um, meant that I learned a lot of lessons and I didn't have uh, anyone else to really confide in. And uh, yes, some of the training in the army was good for this, but you do train with peers and you can often share stories and, and pain and you know, the opportunities and what you've won as well uh, with a, a range of colleagues. Uh, and when I left and did set up current, uh, it is a very individual journey. Yes, it is often lonely. Uh, other times... Yeah, it's, it's, it's just different. Um, so I found by engaging in owner groups, uh, people that own businesses, and also doing mentoring to be really um, um, psychologically supportive uh, for me. Uh, so Moonshot, and there's a few others I also support, but Moonshot's been one of those uh, with Troy uh, leading that activity. Um, and that's when I had personally invested uh, my own money into companies in Australia and abroad that I think have the right idea and the right people. And to be clear, I look for the right people first because mm -hmm. people make a product. Um, and then it's then looking at the product and what its opportunity and, and go to market is. So what I provide in these forums generally is an understanding of the defence marketplace uh, and defence industry, not just for Australia, but overseas as well, which represents a lot of our customers. 
Um, but also just working with the mentor as a mentor to the the young founders, generally young, sometimes older. Actually, it's been quite interesting meeting a whole range of people. But um, and just guiding them through those first journeys, um, even simple things, just with okay, you might want to think about IP protection for this product or patent that you've been working on for two years and you've done yeah. nothing on for for legal management. Just yeah. simple lessons learned. Um, so um, the, I mean, depending upon what's going on. Uh, within within the company, I devote more of my time to that when I have the opportunity. I've had the back off uh, on that lately, as well as a whole range of other commitments and, and boards that I've been on at universities and so forth as well. But I do like to remain engaged in the uh, broader business community, uh, just to give back. And I certainly know for my first three to four years, I was looking for a mentor because I generally had a mentor in um, in defence and formal workplaces, either given to me by statute of the hierarchy, or would present themselves and would um, just over time you form that union. And um, when you set up your own business, you do not have a mentor. You will seek and try and find them, and you find many consultants that have read textbooks that know nothing of your journey. Mm. And it's a very, very hard thing to go through. So I think being able to provide that that basic support and a, just a shoulder to cry on or lean on or just to ask some careful questions too uh, has been really rewarding for me personally, um, uh, emotionally. I'm not not at all financially. Jeez, uh, mm. a lot of these companies go under. But um, yeah, just that that journey of being able to get back uh, has been really important. Listen, if it's not for mm. people such as yourself that actually. Um, Youngston, as you, like as you mentioned, like a variety of people, because the average age of um, entrepreneurs and founders are actually, I think, in their forties, uh, mm. which which possibly means that they can bootstrap themselves. Because in Australia, you you definitely need to be able to do that. Otherwise, um, yeah, yeah. Or, or you need a unicorn that off you go, and someone's going to be giving you millions of dollars. So yeah, and and those relationships come with um, chains and challenges. You know, if you if you are venture backed. It's not a great thing as a series or a pre-seed to raise a mill. Yeah. Jesus, because then you're on the line for their investment. It really yeah. changes the nature of the relationship. So I'm, I'm very thankful we've had such good commercial success and been able to carry through the worst of the pandemic and the recessions and the inflation now uh, with uh, the books in the black. But for those that have taken venture capital and had to perform throughout that period, tough. there's been some real, really, really tough things. Yeah. Right? Things. So it's been valuable to be involved with some of those um, uh, some of those people that I have been mentoring. Yeah, and talk about lawyers. That's where we start. <laughs> there's no there's no relationship. The lawyers, and then we'll go from there. So be ready for them. <laughs> yes, yes. Have a good uh, have a good general counsel that yeah. you use to manage your affairs. Have a good accountant <laughs> to manage your affairs, but uh, don't have a relationship with anyone else's. Uh, no. <laughs> the, the, the more you can, thank, well, I'm very thankful we've never had any of those issues crop up. Um, but we've always been surrounded by good counsel. Uh, that's uh, yeah. It's been very, which I've been thankful for. Yeah. Now, to our audience listening, if you haven't uh, connected with Daniel on LinkedIn um, so far, please do that immediately. But where's the best place for people to contact you, Daniel? Well, I mean, chironics.com is our website. On there, you'll see a contact us portal. Um, if you also want to write to info, info at chironics.com, that comes into a group mailbox where a whole range of people will see it. Um, 
if you want to get contact me personally, I'm sure you can get in touch with me via LinkedIn um, and or via the info at chironx.com and just say you want to reach to me directly um, and uh, you'll be able to get in touch, I'm sure. And the office has a phone. It's amazing. Phone's yeah, I know. Like, you can I know. pick up the phone and go, That's it. and you're there. And they go, yeah. is this a voice? It's what a voice. Want? We, we... I want to talk to him. Yes, we, we have a phone that answer, is answered as well. So uh, if you call the office, uh, someone will answer and say hello. Yeah, and, uh, how and the phone's you? just next door to my, my office here. So you can talk to me in person. It. Yes, it's incredible. <laughs> But uh, yeah, look, those any of those mechanisms, you'll get in touch with me and um, it, it won't be hard to get in touch. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put a link. Thank you so much for your time. That's Last right. but not least, any closing thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with? Any closing thoughts? So I think one closing thought is um, for any other business owners out there, trust yourselves. Trust your instincts. Okay, you're doing all right. And I know the last few years has been pretty interesting. And to everyone else in the industry, let's just collaborate and dominate the world. Let's let's just not, not try to carve up the island. Let's just see what we can leverage from each other's capabilities. Co collaboration has been mentioned in the past. We need to be wary of that. We need to be conscious of that, what we can do together. Because if you look at other nations uh, and how they work well to really generate great potential in key sectors, that's what they do well, and we're not too good at it in Australia. And I think we get that right and sort that out a bit. We're actually quite a force to be reckoned with in this area. And the final thought, supply chain is interesting. The government and those that are engaged in shaping what our national strategy should be need to pay attention to it. I know it's been discussed and manufacturing has been a the theme, um, but there's core and key capabilities which place us at risk in the nation and that needs to be considered for future um, for future contingencies as required. Um, so a couple of passing thoughts, but look, good luck to all of your listeners that are out there in the business community. Um, and um, yeah, let's let's keep our young men and women and intellectuals here in the islands and uh, <laughs> on the islands, not a desert islands, but a lovely place. <laughs> but yeah, and I, I think we've got a real shot of being really a force to be reckoned with in this sector uh, in the next couple of decades. Fantastic. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. I've enjoyed uh, speaking with you and I look forward to your uh, continued success in your journey professionally as well as personally. Yeah, good on you, Nikki. Thanks a lot for having me. And to our audience out there, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, have a great day wherever you are in the world and look forward to your company next week again. Mm -hmm.